You could often tell how devout a person is, how devoted to heaven, by the price they are willing to pay to do a mitzvah, and how much they're willing to pay the premium for a premium mitzvah. Some people will pay a fortune for a pair of tefillin, others will pay a hefty sum for a nice etrog. Which mitzvah surpasses all other mitzvahs in terms of its value? Welcome to the Transformative Daf. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 34 of Ksubis, and we learn that the value of Shalom Bayis, peace in the home, surpasses them all. Welcome to the Transformative Daf, and thank you for being my Chavrusa today. I'd like to begin with a story. Rav Nachum of Chernobyl owned a magnificent pair of tefillin, whose parchments had been written by Rav Ephraim, the sofer of the Baal Shem Tov. Over the years, he'd received countless offers to purchase the tefillin, with one wealthy member of the community even offering him the grand sum of 400 rubles. Yet, despite the fact that he lived in abject poverty, Rav Nachum refused to part with the tefillin. On more than one occasion, his wife pleaded with him to sell the tefillin to support their family. After all, one could buy a perfectly good pair of tefillin for 10 rubles. One year, as Sukkot was approaching, it became clear that it would be near impossible to find an asterisk for the mitzvah of the four species. With each passing day, Rav Nachum became more and more concerned that he would be unable to fulfill the mitzvah. But then, lo and behold, on his way home from Shul the morning before the onset of the festival, Rav Nachum saw a man carrying a little of an asterisk. He couldn't believe his eyes and excitedly ran over to the man and asked how much it would cost to purchase the privacy items. I'm sorry, Rebbe, it's not within your means, the fellow responded curtly. This is the only asterisk in the entire region, and I've managed to secure it with a view to selling it to the wealthiest member of the community. He's going to pay me 400 rubles for it. Rav Nachum stood there deep in thought. Suddenly it dawned on him that he had been offered 400 rubles for his tefillin, reasoning that he had already fulfilled the mitzvah of tefillin that day and wouldn't be needing his tefillin for another nine days. He asked the man to wait for him. He returned to the man a short while later with 400 rubles, having sold his beloved tefillin to one of those people who was eager to buy them. When his wife returned a short while later from having tried to gather some basic necessities together for the holiday, she found her husband beaming with joy. She pressed him and eventually explained that he had sold his tefillin in order to buy the asterisk. As he said this, all the years of deprivation suddenly passed before her eyes. She saw the cold winters and all the nights that she had to send the children to bed hungry. The thought that he had finally sold his prize pair of tefillin for a fruit that would be worthless nine days later was too much for her to bear. Where's the asterisk, she demanded. Her husband pointed to the cupboard. Unable to control her upset, she ran to the cupboard, grabbed the asterisk, and bit off the pitum, rendering it invalid and unusable. For a brief moment, Rav Nachum found himself paralyzed, but then he turned his eyes heavenward and davened, master of the universe. I have lost my tefillin. I have lost my asterisk. Please, I beseech you, dear God, do not allow me to lose my temper. Let's look at today's Gemara. If one stolen ox was sentenced to be stoned, from which one may derive no benefit and is therefore worthless, and slaughtered it, he still pays the owner a payment of four or five times the principal. This is the statement of Rebbe Meir. But it is not the owner's ox that he is slaughtering. Rabbah said, with what are we dealing here? A case where the owners entrusted the ox to a guardian, and the ox injured another person while in the guardian's house, and it was sentenced to be stoned while in the guardian's house, and the thief then stole it from the guardian's house. 
And Rabbi Meir holds in accordance with Rabbi Yaakov and holds in accordance with Rabbi Shimon. He holds in accordance with Rabbi Yaakov who said, even after the ox was sentenced to be stoned, if the guardian returned it to its owners, it is returned. And Rabbi Meir holds in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon who said that an object that affects monetary loss is like that of money. Says Rashi, if the guardian returned it to the owners, it is considered returned property. For he may say to him, you gave me an ox, I am hereby returning an ox to you. Let's analyze the Gemara. The Gemara discusses an ox that was borrowed. During the period of the loan, the ox killed a person and was sentenced by the court to be killed. In the meantime, a thief stole the ox and slaughtered it. Generally, if a thief slaughters the stolen ox, the Torah requires him to pay a fine equivalent to five times the value of the ox. In this case, though, the ox had been sentenced to death and really isn't worth anything at all. Nevertheless, Rameir insists that the regular law remains in effect and the thief must pay the 500% fine. The reason for the continued obligation is the following. Let's say the ox wasn't stolen. It's now time to return the borrowed ox. According to Rabbi Yaakov, the borrower may return the ox to the owner as is, despite the fact that it is essentially worthless since tomorrow it'll be killed by the court. Rashi explains that the borrower can simply say, you lent me an ox, I'm returning an ox. What emerges from the discussion is that return of property need not necessarily reflect its inherent value. What counts is the objective value of the object, irrespective of any external factors that might enhance or detract from its observed value. A Liberty Hilchester cites the Nasivis, who discusses a similar topic. Let's say someone borrowed an object from his friend and damaged it. Ordinarily, the borrower must repay his friend for the value of the damaged item. But what if the particular item was only valuable to the owner but was worthless to anyone else and had zero resale value? According to the Nsivis, an item is only worth as much as it can sell for in the market. If it had no market value, there's no obligation to make restitution. Many authorities disagree. The Evany Stroll offers an example of damaging someone else's glasses. While the lenses might have no resale value because they were created specifically for the owner, they still have a replacement cost, and the damager must pay that amount. Alibut Hilchester then offers the case of the expensive esrog. If someone borrowed his friend's expensive esrog and dropped it, how much does he owe him? Do we say, in Rashi's words, you gave me an ox, I'm hereby returning an ox to you, and that all he must repay is the cost of a basic kosher esrog? Or do we say that he borrowed and damaged a fancy asterisk, and that is what must be replaced? As the story of Rav Nachum of Chernobyl demonstrates, the value of an asterisk depends on the time and place. If everyone has an asterisk, then it wouldn't be worth very much in the middle of Sukkot. But if there's no other asterisk available, then that same asterisk might be worth much more. Returning to the story of Rav Nachum, let's take a moment to reflect on the value of the various items in our life. The moral of the story is that a rare pair of tefillin might be worth a fortune, but the opportunity to fulfill a mitzvah is worth even more. Nevertheless, the value of good mitzvahs and shalom is far greater in value than both the tefillin and the esrog. Rav Nachum demonstrated what's truly important. Undoubtedly, the reward for the mitzvah of not losing his temper would have far surpassed all other potential mitzvah rewards. That's a mitzvah that money can't buy. Sadly, many people confuse and improperly pr prioritize the value of the cherished elements of their lives. While this story sounds almost too incredible to be true, I once encountered the precise opposite scenario. 
I met a fellow who was so proud of his Lulavan Esrog. He had paid a fortune for the set and wouldn't allow anyone to touch it, fearing that someone might spoil its beauty ever so slightly. In fact, he boasted to me, I don't even allow my wife to touch it. When we were first married, I gave her my Lulavan Esrog to shake and she shook it ever so wildly. I decided never to make that mistake again. I asked the man to listen to himself. He had prioritized a palm branch and a piece of fruit over his Shalom bias. Did he really believe that that's what Hashem wanted of him? Everything in this world has value. Sometimes those values are fixed, other times they vary. The challenge of our mission on earth is to discern the right value of each element of our lives in each situation and set of circumstances. May you forever prioritize what is truly valuable in your life, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Duff Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Duff Yomi global movement, there's something in the Transformative Duff for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the Duff with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose. Transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, The Transformative Daf.